heading into the second part of our series on Galatians, and you know, last week we talked about there, there being um, only one hope, and you know, part of the problem that, that comes whenever we start talking about truth is uh, um, a lot of people, they're okay with words, but they don't necessarily, not, not sure what they mean. In fact, have you ever thought this about someone, or maybe someone has said this to you, I don't think those words mean what you think they mean. Um, I, as you know, I've been a teacher, professor, I grade a lot of research papers, and uh, I am not shy to write that uh, on their papers, sometimes too much. I don't think these words mean what you think they mean. Well, we have a lot of sayings that, that, we, that, that, you know, that we say that we think we know what they mean. Anybody heard this phrase, curiosity killed the cat? Anybody said it? And what does it seem to mean? It seems to mean like, hey, don't be curious, right? Well, this is actually the whole saying. Curiosity killed the cat, but satisfaction brought it back. It actually means the opposite of how we use it. It's not discouraging curiosity at all. How about if you've ever heard the phrase, blood is thicker than water, right? And that's usually meant to mean family is stronger ties than any other kind of ties we can have. This is the whole phrase, the whole sentence. The blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. It's the opposite. It's actually saying the blood of the covenant, the, the, what we have in, in the covenant with Christ Jesus, that's more powerful than the bonds of family. Maybe you heard this one, great minds think alike. Well, the whole phrase of this is, great minds think alike, though fools seldom differ. I'm not 100% sure what this means, and I hope you don't agree with me. Um, because I'm not sure if that's a good or bad thing. Jack of all trades, master of none. The whole phrase is jack of all trades, master of none, though often better than master of one. Again, opposite of what we think. Maybe you've even heard about Murphy's Law, right? You've heard some people say Murphy's Law. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. Well, what the, what the person actually was saying is that he was actually criticizing one of his, what a, one of his like, workmates. And he said, if there's more than one way to do a job, that guy, uh, and one will result in disaster, that guy will do it that way, right? It's not exactly anything can go wrong. He's actually saying, no, this guy is choosing the worst possible way to do something. We have words, and we say words, and we think we know what they mean, but do we really? See, many people are willing to accept a statement as true as long as they're able to interpret what it means. That's very common, and I've heard this ever since, um, you know, I've been in church, and, and I still hear people say this today. And I'm going to be honest with you, I used to say it myself where we would be talking about Scripture and, and we'd be like, well, everybody's entitled to their opinion. Uh, no, you're not. 
Those are the words of truth. What we need to know is not what my opinion is, what my interpretation is, what I think it means. What I need to know is, what does it actually mean? What is the truth? And, you know, a lot of times it's like, you know, well, you know, it's, it's, it's so confusing because I listen to one pastor over here, I read one book over here, and they seem to disagree, and I just don't know what to do. You know what you need to do? You need to study God's Word. You need to, as we talked about this morning in our Sunday school, you need to find those people, and hopefully those are the people here in this church that are also pursuing truth and studying together. You don't just throw up your hands and say, well, you know what, everybody's entitled to their opinion. I'm not going to sort it out. I'm just going to, whatever. It's good. But we kind of live in this world where we're willing to accept truth statements as long as we can kind of make them fit whatever we really want in our lives. It's kind of what's happening in the churches in Galatia. Remember last week we talked about it that, you know, we're talking about multiple churches in this region. And, and they had started out right. Everything was going well. But they're starting to follow this very dangerous false teaching. If these Christians are who we think they are, then who they are are either a combination of, one, non-Jewish people who've converted to Christianity, or they're Jewish people who actually were just ethnically Jewish, but they were really living more, um, you know, they, they were just kind of doing, maybe following some of the traditions, but really not Jewish in a religious sense. And so you, you, you have these, these groups that, that have no connection to Judaism. And then they become Christians, and some people come along, and we're going to see that some of them are well-meaning, and some of them are actually sincere believers, and others may, may be sincere, but they're not really believing the gospel but they come along and they want to they want to they want to help them they want to correct them they want to teach them the right way but let me just tell you something if someone comes along and teaches something false and you end up believing it there's a certain point where you can blame them, where you can say, like, um, you know, sounded so convincing, you know, that, that serpent, it's the way he said his S's. He was just trustworthy. The fruit, it looked so good. The arguments were so convincing. But one of the things that when we look back even at this original sin, we know that there was something about Eve and something about Adam that wanted to do it. They weren't forced. They wanted to do it. 
Oh, they may have been tricked. But you can only be tricked into doing something that there's something inside of you that you want to do it. If I have a jar of razor blades, I don't care how tricky I am, I don't think I can get you to drink that jar of razor blades because there's nothing inside of you that would want to do it. But if there's something, if there's something inside of us, even if we've pushed it down, even if we're pretending that it's not there, but the other person knows it's there, they can get us. They can trick us. They can pull us in. There's something about these Galatian Christians that wants to believe what the false teachers are saying. And so Paul, he writes in verse 6 of chapter 1, he says, I am astonished. I'm astonished. I don't know that that word really captures it. You know, this is actually just this Greek word that's just thalmazo that can mean just amazed. I'm amazed, but there's no positive here. Amazed has a sense of something like really good that I'm seeing that's amazing me. But, um, you know, astonished, I think, is a little too neutral. He could be, I'm shocked. I'm stunned. And I'm stunned that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Paul's right up front again. This is not a happy letter. This isn't like subtle. This isn't like, hey, how you guys doing? I heard, that, you know, that through the grapevine that there were some things. No, right off the bat, I'm stunned. If you read Paul's other letters, other than 1 Corinthians, he, you know, he starts off with a doxology. He thanks God for the people that he's writing to. He talks about their faith. But here, right off the bat, I'm stunned, I'm shocked. And what is the problem? The problem is that they are going after a different gospel. But Paul wants to make clear right here, right from the very beginning, there is only one gospel. Last week we said there's only one hope. Well, there's only one gospel that will fulfill that hope. And so he's, you know, he's saying, you know, hey, um, I heard you turning to a different gospel, but make no mistake, there is no other gospel. And even if you say, no, 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 we weren't, Paul, you misunderstand, Paul. We weren't going to another gospel. Uh, these guys just came along and helped us interpret the gospel. Again, Paul doesn't, 
he, he doesn't sugarcoat this. He doesn't say interpret. He says distorts. Because that's what's happening. And so he's stunned. He's stunned by the fact that they're going to a different gospel. He's stunned that it was so quick. So quickly. And he wants to make them also understand this. Because I think in their minds, they, they, they don't believe this. I think in their minds, they think like, you know, Paul, we still believe all the stuff you said. But we also believe what these other guys are saying. What Paul is trying to help them understand is, you cannot believe a gospel of grace and it simultaneously believe a gospel of works. They're mutually exclusive. You cannot. It's not possible. They, they, they kind of want to have it both ways. But let me introduce to you a thought here, a thought that I think sometimes we don't talk about enough in, in the church today. And it's because we're scared of this word. And as soon as um, someone says this word, as, someone, as soon as someone brings it up, people just immediately go, ooh, that's, you know, I uh, kind of don't want to talk about that. In fact, I have trouble getting people, even in smaller Bible study groups, small group kind of talking, to get people to talk about this. But it's why Paul is so stunned. It's because he was there. He was there when many of them converted to Christianity. He heard what they said. He saw the change. He knew what they experienced. And that's what stuns him. This wasn't a bunch of people just sitting around going, Paul, them's some good ideas. Let's talk about it. You know what? We're going to give your way a try. Everybody, we good with that? Yeah, let's give it a try. Paul, we're going to try to follow what you're saying. Is that, that's good, right? Now, if that happened, Paul wouldn't be stunned. Paul would be like, yeah, okay. You guys, we're not really all in from the beginning. The fact that you are going to follow someone else, it's not shocking. What's shocking to him is that he knows from what he observed that they had experienced the truth of Jesus Christ in their lives. They had experienced the Holy Spirit in their lives. They had experienced this grace. They knew that they had been delivered they had been delivered from this evil age. They, he knew that. That's what's stunning to him. That's what's shocking. And on top of that, they're not just leaving the truth. It's one thing if they just said, uh, you know, we've come to the conclusion that there is no truth to follow, so we're not going to follow any truth. It'd be another thing if they said, like, you know, we, we're just not, not going to believe in God at all anymore. Or, you know, we don't really care about righteousness or any of that. 
we're good, we're done. That'd be one thing. But they're not just turning away from the gospel. They're running to another one. This doesn't make sense to Paul. Because they're actually running to the one those that are following the Judaizers, they're running to the one that Jesus came to fix. And that's why Paul says, he goes, this is the truth because you know it. You've experienced it. It's not just knowledge that you've heard. It's not just scripture that's been properly interpreted. You know this and you still want to go back to this other gospel. That's why he can say with such confidence, look, if I show up there, if I show up there in a couple days, and I say something different from what you first heard when you had that amazing life-changing experience, if I do it, if an angel appears and does it, don't believe them. Believe the truth you heard and the experience you had. Trust that. Notice he's not just saying, trust your experience. That's why we get afraid of the word experience. Somebody comes in and wants to talk about some spiritual experience they had, and usually it's a little sketchy, a little questionable. Paul's not just talking about random you know, experiences somebody might have. He's saying, no, you heard the truth of the gospel and your life was changed. Your mind was changed. Your attitude was changed. You were freed. How can you go back? Paul's later on, we're going to hear his story. Because one of the things is that, is that his story connects with their story. What he saw them experiencing connected with what he experienced when he confronted Jesus Christ. And he's saying, how could you abandon? You see, again, there's something about this other gospel that's attractive. There's something about the gospel of Jesus Christ that we don't like. Well, we don't say it. But somewhere, somewhere, there's something disquieting about it. You see, if all that the gospel is about is about us being good, if it's all about just us being good people, there's a lot of ways to do that. Heck, you can go on the internet, you can search for how to be a good person. I bet you you'll probably get, you know, books and motivational speakers and YouTube videos, a lot of ways to be a good person. A lot of ways to be nice. A lot of ways to be better than most, kind, courteous, helpful. But what the gospel says is that there's only one way. 
There's only one way that you will be able to have the selfless, unconditional, sacrificial love that only God has. The love that will not just allow you to care about your friends, care about your family, but the love that will allow you to love everyone perfectly all the time. If anybody here thinks they can do this, I want to meet you. I want to meet you. But we know, if we're honest, we can't do this. I mean everyone. I mean your enemies. I mean the people you don't even know. I mean the people that offend you. People that disagree with you. Everyone. And not just sometimes. All the time. You know, for me, this, the sobering, convicting fact is, is what I see on the cross when, when Jesus Christ is loving his enemies perfectly, that while they're killing him, while they're killing him, he's forgiving them. Not after the fact, not beforehand. You know, he doesn't like pray up before the cross and, hey, God, you know, those guys are going to do some pretty despicable things. I'm going to forgive them in advance. It's not after the fact like, wow, that cross was pretty terrible. But you know what? I forgive those guys. No. The story is while he's suffering, while they're beating him, while they're mocking him, in intense pain when the rest of us would be absorbed with let's get this over with, end this, free me, somehow get me out of this situation. In the middle of that situation, Jesus Christ is forgiving his enemies. I know I can't do that. I don't even want to try. It's a high standard. Paul gets this. He knows what they're going after. They're going after being good, being kind, being gentle. They're, they've accepted less than what Jesus Christ offers. There's something else that comes into play here, and we're going to see this play out in some of the stories that are told in Galatians. But you see, if God's selfless, unconditional, sacrificial love comes only through faith in Jesus Christ, we also know that it is the only way to be in the kingdom. In fact, it's one of the reasons we know the kingdom will be perfect. Because nobody, nobody wants to be around selfless, loving people. Not for very long. Especially if you know that you're not anywhere close. Oh, at first you think like, no, they'd be great. I'd love to be around them. I'd love to hang. Because you know, they would, they'd do everything for me. Because they would love me. Right? 
That's because we don't understand love. They would love you so much that they would constantly be trying to help you. And you would have to make some decisions whether to be helped or get upset. Maybe fun for a little while. But eventually we would run from the kingdom. If we're still controlled and caught up by our own selfishness, our own needs, our own desires, if we were suddenly placed in a community of people who perfectly loved everyone all the time, we wouldn't be able to stand it for very long. In truth, we wouldn't be able to stand ourselves. Paul continues here. He says, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For I am now seeking the approval of man, uh, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. Again, we get caught up in the story when Paul starts talking about himself and all this stuff. And, and again, that's not the way we like to communicate. We don't like to communicate with stories. We want Paul just to give us the facts. Paul is giving you the facts. But he's doing it in a way that would have been very familiar to his readers, to us. It's kind of weird. And what is he saying? He's basically saying what he says in the last line, the gospel I'm giving you is not man's gospel. I did not, I did not edit the gospel so that people would like me more. Ultimately, he's saying the gospel is not the truth we want to hear. See, we, we don't mind hearing about the gospel if we're only thinking about the results. If we only think about, you know, oh, heaven, or we only think about, you know, um, having joy. If, if we just think about the results, gospels, yeah, we're okay with that. It's good. Pro-gospel. But when we understand that it is the gospel of grace, it is not the gospel we want to hear. You see, we want a gospel where we have some control. We don't have to have total control. We just need some control. We want something where, you know, I can kind of impress God. I can earn something. You know, if nothing else, hey, we're all going to heaven. That's, that's cool. I'm probably going to have a little bit bigger house than you in heaven. But that's okay. It's still heaven, guys. Right? It's still heaven. You know, it's still way better than anything else. But just saying, I, I, I'm going to tell you too, I'll, I'll invite you over to my big heaven house. So that's all cool too. People think like this. Oh, they may not think about it that way, but they think about it. 
we, we want to have something. We want to have some control. That's why I love when Revelation talks about the crowns that we'll have. And we sing about this in the song, Holy, Holy, Holy. People who, you know, I'm going to have, you know, the biggest crown in heaven because of all the works I've done on earth. As soon as we see Jesus face to face, we'll realize how our crowns are nothing. And that thing that we work so hard for in our righteousness, we will just throw at his feet. Because we'll see true righteousness. We'll see true love. We'll see true holiness. But we like something where we can have some control. Where we can somehow work, earn, merit. You see, we like that or, or we like it the other way. Like we, we like to think like what God wants us to do is so hard that I can't do it. So then that gives me an excuse not to do it. Like, you know, I'm just too bad. I just couldn't possibly do it. I'm just too weak. I'm just not smart enough. Uh, you know, whatever. I just can't. So it either gives us an excuse to do nothing. And so we like that kind of gospel. Or we want something that allows us to have some control. Work that we can do. At the end of the day, we want to be able to say, as long as we tried our best. I'm not joking with you when I say I have college students who think the fact that they worked hard is good enough for them to get an A. No, me, I can't even fathom saying that to my teachers when I was younger. Because I always knew what the, what the deal was. It wasn't how hard I worked, it's what I actually produced. But understand, there's a lot of people who treat God that way. Oh God, I can ignore your word. God, I can ignore the gospel. You know, I can just kind of do my own thing, kind of make it up, kind of come up with my own definition of what's good. Oh, maybe I'll consult a few experts here and there and kind of, you know, add Jesus to that list of people that I'll think about. And then I'm going to be as good as I can. And you know what? Because I tried my best, sort of, you're going to take me. We like that gospel. You know how I know we like that gospel? Because even though there's nothing in Christianity that says that's correct, if you ask most people in the United States what is Christianity, they will describe it that way. It's about doing good, right? It's about doing good. Because God wants you to do good. So you do good. I didn't teach them that. It's just, it's a man thing. What human beings come up with. And we're drawn to that. We're drawn to that. And we don't like what Paul writes in Romans 5. If you look at Romans 5, I'm not going to read the passage for you, 
But if you look at Romans 5, in just a few verses, 6 through 10, Paul calls us helpless. He calls us godless. He calls us enemies. But he says, oh, in the midst of that, at the right time, God demonstrated his love for us, sent Jesus Christ. See, Christianity is the only, it's the only faith, it's the only philosophy, the only religion, the only theology, anything you want to describe Christianity as, it's the only one that admits up front that it is impossible to do what is required. Doesn't matter how hard you work. Doesn't matter how, how good you think you are. Doesn't matter how disciplined you are. You cannot. Instead, it says, but God can. In fact, through Jesus Christ, God has made a way for you to meet that impossible standard. In fact, Christ has already met that standard. It's the gospel of surrender, not control. God doesn't make promises to us about what's going to happen in our, in, in our earthly lives. There's no promise that you're going to live longer if you become a Christian. There's no promise that you're going to have more wealth, even that you're going to have more happiness. There's no promises of that. We surrender. We give all to Christ. Say, use everything I have, everything I am, my past, my present, my future. Use it for your glory, however you want to use it. It's not the truth we want to hear. So we're always trying to, to amend it. Paul says this in verse 12. He says, For I did not receive it, he's talking about the gospel, from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism because many of my own age among my people, uh, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia 
And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. What's Paul doing here? Paul is, is taking his experience. He's taking the truth that was given to him and was given to him in a unique way. He had known the Hebrew scriptures, but he didn't really understand them until Jesus Christ confronts him on the Damascus road. And then all of a sudden, everything's changed. He has the experience. And then he talks about his interaction with Peter and James and some of the other church leaders. And and notice what's missing from here. What's missing from here is not what's going to be missing in chapter 2. What's missing from here is, is they're okay. They're agreeing. No one's disagreeing. No one's saying, Paul, that's wrong. No, no, you got it wrong, Paul. It's really, you know, about Judaism. And we just kind of, you know, added Jesus. No, he say no. We had fellowship. We, we talked about things. There was this unity that we shared. And in fact, the main thing people would say is they were amazed that the guy who used to persecute them is now preaching the gospel. And so he's sharing this autobiographical information. We love it from a, from a biblical standpoint because we get so few glimpses into Paul's life from Paul. We get one here. But don't be distracted by it. He's not just giving this information to give information. And he's not just making this one point. But he's doing it because he's actually helping them understand this is what the gospel does. It brings us together. But along the way, in presenting this information, he's trying to help them understand that, that in his experience, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is also the revelation of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the revelation of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ isn't just words. It isn't just a plan. It's telling us who Jesus is. The gospel reveals Jesus Christ. As Paul points out for him, the gospel was from Jesus Christ. And there is a very real way that we can say this. That the gospel is Jesus Christ. When we use words and we don't know what they mean, or we use them in ways that they weren't intended to mean, you know, a lot of times it's somewhat harmless, but sometimes it can be pretty damaging. You know, I always say this at the end of service this isn't church. This is a worship service. The Bible never equates a worship service or Bible study with church. Church is always the people. So, you know, we want to maintain that distinction. It's okay if you say, I'm going to church today. 
God's not going to throw a lightning bolt from the sky and punish you for being wrong. It's true in a sense. But what happens is if you say it so much, you start to think that church is no longer the community, no longer the family, no longer the people, but church is the programs, church is the building, church is the, you know, the, the organization. And we forget that it's that spirit-filled community of believers that's yeah, a problem. It's okay if we talk about the gospel as simply the plan or words. It's okay because they are words. It is a plan. But what we cannot forget, because this is the problem that the Jewish people had faced, that the gospel, in the gospel, Jesus Christ is revealing himself to us. He's not just saying, here's some things. Agree to these things. Here's some things that are true. The gospel is being revealed. And for Paul, it was not just revealed. It was also realized. He experienced it. I think part of the problem we sometimes have in church today is is a lot of people, they, they have had the gospel revealed to them. They know the truth. But they haven't realized it. They may have prayed a prayer. They may have been baptized. But they haven't realized that profound life change. And I'm not saying that it, it happens instantaneously all at once. It does for some people. So, some people are like Paul, literally were blind and now can see. Others, they have, to, they have to look back over their lives and they can see what Christ has done in their lives and shaping them and helping them to become someone they never thought they would ever be or could even have conceived of. But there's the realization of the gospel, the experience of the gospel. And that realization and that experience is because the gospel is Jesus Christ. It's not just words. It's the person of Jesus Christ. This is a personal gospel. Those of you who have been Christians for a long time, if you're, if you're like me, when I can think of the driest times in my life, the driest spiritual times are the times when, when Christianity has just become words and beliefs. And I've forgotten that this was connecting me to the person of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's doing. He's telling his story. He's telling how he got there. He's telling where he was. He sees the profound change. Some of you know this. You know who you were before Christ. You know what Christ did for you. But here's the thing about the gospel. The gospel, the true gospel, the gospel of grace 
is not just realized at a point in time. Because this is the person of Jesus Christ, this is realized every day. I ask this question of myself as much as I ask it of you. When was the last time, when was the last time you felt the manifest presence of Jesus Christ in your life? I would hope it was like this morning, this past week, You're like me. It can be a long time. We say it's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Is it? Is it? It should be. See, this is the good news. The good news is of the gospel. The good news is that there's a way for anyone to enter the kingdom of heaven. Anyone can be in a right relationship with God, but there's only one way. And that way is through faith in Jesus Christ. Because what Jesus Christ promises to do through faith in Jesus Christ, he promises to come and make us new. He promises to give us the Holy Spirit. We'll be made new. The Holy Spirit will pour out God's love on our lives we will be able to love, oh, not perfectly, but at least moving in the direction of that perfect love. Think about your experience of salvation. Not just the moment, how many every weeks, months, years ago it was, but your entire experience of salvation, however long it's been. Are you willing to bet your life your eternity, your reputation, everything on that the words of the gospel were true and your experience with Christ has been true. Not simply intellectually persuaded, but having, but having experienced and continue to experience something you've never experienced before This is why Paul is stunned. This is why he's shocked. Because he believes that the Galatians had that experience. And they're walking away from it. They knew the words of truth. They experienced what that gospel of grace could do in their lives. And they were leaving it behind.